0: Well, good morning, Northside family. So good to see you. My name's Nate. I want to welcome you, and if you would, would you welcome everybody in our video venue and watching on our live stream right now? I want to let them know that they are welcome and glad. I know some of them are traveling, tuning in right now, and uh, if, if this is your first time here, I want to let you know that I'm so glad because this is my first time to preach a Christmas Eve sermon, and so if it's bad, I apologize in advance. I've never done this before, all right? Uh, but this last year has been a big transition for me. I don't know if you've been in the life stage of transition, uh, but this has been my first year to be the lead pastor here, and uh, you know, normally during the Christmas Eve services, my dad has been the senior pastor for the last 18 years. He's been preaching this, and during the service, I'd sit back and eat breadsticks and wait for service to get out, and and then I would do some stuff, and he's like, I'm eating breadsticks this year, and you're preaching. And I'm like, all right, pops, that's cool. Uh, But this whole week, man, I've been so giddy, kind of like a kid before Christmas, because this Christmas story is unbelievable. And the more I began to read and the more I've dug into this story, the more I've thought about, you know, this opportunity, this new tradition for me to get to preach on Christmas Eve weekend and the and an unbelievable story of Christ entering into the world. And it made me begin to think about my own, trend, you know, kind of traditions that we have. I know some of you guys have traditions. If I were to ask you, I know right now this room is already a room divided if I simply ask this question, who believes in listening to Christmas music before Thanksgiving, right? You go, yes, Jesus is alive, and we listen to him all year long, all right? Now, some of you are going, you're judging me right now because you're going, you're the sinner because you don't listen to Christmas music. How many of you are that way until after Thanksgiving? That's it. Right? We're a house divided here. We need Jesus today to bring us together, but we have all these traditions that come up, I know for me, I began to think about just some traditions in my own family Uh, on Christmas morning. I can guarantee you this. This is what we're going to eat with my family. I don't know why, uh, but we eat these Pillsbury orange rolls. And uh, man, they are phenomenal if you've ever had them. We only eat this one time a year. I really do believe because of the trans fats, they might be the only thing that Jesus can't redeem, right? There is no redemptive value in them, but they're our family tradition. Every Christmas, man, it's not Christmas without some orange rolls. And also, I guarantee you this in our house, if you come Christmas morning, you are gonna see Duncan Hines Simply Morning's premium, premium muffin mix. It's not just blueberry muffins, ladies and gentlemen. This is premium muffin. Matter of fact, you cannot get these at Meyer, JC, and Sellersburg, the Target on Veterans, Grantline Kroger, <laughs> State Street Kroger, because I bought them all. And, uh, and this, seriously. <laughs> I, my wife, she did the click list on Target. We got the last one at Target. I'm telling you, you can go in there and you can look. Ask, ask them. Hey, Duncan Highs, right now, I am I'm touching Christmas gold. All right? And uh, and this is why. My mom actually, she went out, she got some more. I scooped out some. I, I didn't have enough. And because I'm like, hey, it's Christmas. I need to come bearing gifts to you guys. And I asked my mom, I'm like, hey, can you pick up some more? Because at every service, I want, I want to give away one of our Christmas traditions. And so if you've never had these before and you want to start a tradition, right here, my man, right here, man. There it is, dude. Merry Christmas, man. Christmas, man. Now, if you ask me, Nate... Why, why the Duncan Hines blueberry premium, premium muffin mix? You know why? I don't know. I don't know why we have that. Tra- like, <laughs> it's just what we do. If you ask some of your family, why do we eat this? You hush up and you eat it, right? You know, like, <laughs> we don't know why, but we got these traditions in our family. Matter of fact, a couple weekends ago, I was up in Chicago with my wife. We met up with some friends that live in Chicago. Another set of friends drove, and we met us there. And we met in downtown Chicago just to explore the city, see the city lights at Christmas. And there in the middle of downtown is this place called Chris Kendall Outdoor Market. Where literally people come from all around the world and they sell their little trinkets from Germany and Switzerland and all this other stuff. There's these people with alpaca scarves from Canada and all this other crazy stuff. And I literally, I'm thinking about this and I just, I just took all this in and I went, isn't it fascinating that at Christmas, every country around the world has traditions? Every, every country has a Christmas tradition. You and your family, even if your tradition is not to have any traditions, that's a tradition. You're like, we're not going to do anything. That way we know we're keeping up with our traditions. We all have these traditions. Matter of fact, I began to study a little bit more because I went, where, where did all these things come from? I don't know why we eat orange rolls. I don't know why we eat blueberries. Some of the things, you don't know why you do this stuff. And I began to research Christmas traditions in America. I, did, did you know it wasn't until 1870 that Christmas wasn't a federal holiday in America? Whatn't until 1870. Literally, kids were still going to Chris to school on Christmas before then. Some of you parents are like, can we go back to that? Right? You know, can we say like who invented this Christmas break? We don't like this tradition, you know? I didn't realize this, and then I began to search a little bit more. It wasn't until 1836, actually, that Alabama was the first state to recognize this as a national holiday for them, and they said, "Hey, we're, we're going to include this as a state." The Queen of England heard about that, and in 1837, said, "Hey, all of England, we're going to celebrate this, you know, tradition of Christmas, and we're going to start doing it." And then in 1843, it was a defining moment because there was an author by the name of Charles Dickens that wrote a little bit novel, little novel. Anybody remember what it's called? A Christmas Carol. And that changed the game for Christmas tradition, because what it finally put to rest was this. If you make anybody work on Christmas, who are you? You're Scrooge! That's why if you get booked to work on Christmas, you call your boss scrooge and probably some other names as well you know but this is a new tradition that came along from charles dickens which brought forth what we say is this and and if i were to ask you to define this tradition you could you know everybody would define a different it brought along this tradition called the christmas spirit we say that to one another don't we hey where's your christmas spirit well where'd that come from and actually what is the christmas spirit Somebody's sick. No, I'm just joking, man. I'm just joking, man. I was sick this week, so I'm with you, my man. Don't worry. Dude, this is what happens, man. We get together. We get together. Now, here's the deal. Here's what happens. You go, where's your Christmas spirit? You go, where'd that come from, and what is the Christmas spirit? Well, Christmas spirit, you know, it's, uh, you know we, we, we get together, and we eat, and we give each other gifts, and you're going to like it. Merry Christmas, right? And then Christmas is over, and we go, I'm glad that's over. Here's what I want to do today. As I began to research, as I began to think about my own traditions, as you begin to think about your traditions, as you begin to think about all sorts of different things, here's what we need to realize. And this is what I just want to do a little, just have a little conversation today. I want us to go back to the very first traditions that happened at Christmas. Christmas. I don't want to get rid of the Christmas spirit. I don't want you to throw away your orange rolls if you are, give them to me, all right? <laughs> I'm not asking you to not have your food. I'm not asking you to not get together as a family. I'm not asking you to give gifts to one another, man. That, that's awesome. Keep those traditions. Th- those are meaningful things. Here's what I'm asking you to do today. I just want you to take a few moments with me and look at the very first traditions of Christmas because what we're going to find today is this. It's probably not the tradition you think it is. This actually, we, we see the Christmas story in Luke chapter 2, And here's what's happening is Luke. I don't know if you know this about the book of Luke. It's one of the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And those are four eyewitness accounts that are written to people to tell people about the tradition of Jesus and who he is and what he's come to do because so many people have questions and they don't know what it is and they don't don't know what it means to look like to follow Jesus. And so Luke writes actually two books of the Bible, Luke and the book of Acts, to one person named Theophilus. This is what's so cool about Christmas. He has an entire book, the book of Luke, written to somebody who's going, who's this Jesus? And what does it mean to follow him? Because Theophilus is a Roman citizen, and this is what he knows. If he begins to follow Jesus, there's gonna be new traditions that come into his life. And it is gonna change his life for the better, but he knows it's gonna change him. And so I just wanna take a moment, I just want us to focus this Christmas season on the very first traditions of what makes Christmas. Listen what it says in Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. It says, in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. I'll explain that in a second. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to his own town to register. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now, you guys have probably heard that before and you go, Nate, heard it. What what, what tradition are you talking about? You know, what's new with that? I've heard about the manger. I've heard about no room in the inn, all this other stuff. I just want to unpack a little bit of these things because what we find here is something a little bit different. When it says that in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world, you can go back and look in the history books. This is the first time that Rome had one emperor to rule the whole Roman world, which actually Caesar Augustus, Octavian, was his original name, conquered Mark Antony and is now over the entire world. He rules the world. Not only that, but his father, who adopted him, Julius Caesar, had just been assassinated. Now, he's the ruler over everything, and what happened was this. There was this comet that, happened, that went shot over Rome, and there's a terminology in politics called shock politics, that when there's an incident that happens in the world, people use it to promote their own agenda. This is what Julius Augustus, or Julius' the son uh, Caesar Augustus did. He said, did you, everybody see that comet? Everybody's like, yeah, we saw the comet. And since Rome believed in all these different gods, they go, that was my father, Julius Caesar, ascending into the heavens. And now he's a god. Which means, if he's a god and he's my dad, I am now the son of God. And I am now the prince of peace. And I am now taking a census of the entire Roman world. Now you guys go, what's the big deal with the census? What does a census produce? Anybody guess? Any accountants in this house? Taxes! Merry Christmas! Who's excited to pay taxes? I don't see anybody's hand. Here's the deal. Did you realize that at the very beginning of what brought The Christmas story in was taxes. It's kind of defeating, isn't it? Matter of fact, people began to research this, and these are some of the stats I found out was this that Caesar Augustus wouldn't just like tax people. Nothing wrong with paying taxes. You know, they build roads and keep schools together, all sorts of stuff. Here's the problem Caesar Augustus would tax 70, 80, 90% on people. Imagine if you were paying 80, 90% taxes this year. You'd be living in Canada. No, I'm joking. I'm just joking, man. I'm just joking. No, but here's the deal. If that was your world, are you excited about Christmas? You're like, dude, I, I don't know how I'm going to pay anything. I, I'm not going to have anything. I don't know if I'm going to make it. Did you realize that's probably what's going on through Mary and Joseph's mind as they traveled from Nazareth to Bethlehem going, uh-oh, we're going to have to pay taxes. Are we even going to be able to meet it? ends see this is a different way to see christmas coming in to the world here's the problem julius caesar passed it on to his son and so caesar augustus when he began to take over the world this is what he looked at the world he looked at the entire world and said this all you are is a number to me it's all you are to me is a number and numbers matter. Number, there's nothing wrong with numbers, right? Your blood pressure, you better be aware of that number. Your heartbeat number, you better be aware of that stuff. There's nothing inherently wrong with numbers. The only problem is this. When numbers begin to define us and own us more than allowing Christ to define us and be our identity, we begin to get in a troubled area. Sometimes, even when we're younger, there's these numbers that begin to creep up like this. If you're in band in junior high and you go, oh, you're third chair, and you're like, oh, man, I'm third chair? That other kid's terrible. I should be first chair. And then it begins to, to go a little bit more. And our stats and our batting average and all these numbers begin to define us. And then you get into high school and your, you know, your rank and your school class and your GPA. And then we start asking numbers like this. Well, what's your ACT? Well, why does that matter? Because that matters how much money you'll get for college. And then numbers begin to add a little bit more to it. Social media, how many likes? How many followers do you have? When you get a job, what, how much do you make? What are your sales numbers? What's your credit score? What's your weight? What's your age? What's your dress size? What's your 401k? What's your credit score? Some of you are beginning to sweat. All right, now, hey, we're going to get to hope here in a second. Some of you are like, can you stop talking about numbers? Here's our problem. We don't need taxes to just ruin our life. Here's the problem. A lot of times, if we're not careful, we'll let these numbers come in and tax our soul. And at Christmas, Jesus wanted to start a new tradition, and here's the tradition he wanted to start. See, Jesus came to give us a name, not a number. Caesar Augustus looked at the world and said this, I'm the Son of God, I'm the Prince of Peace, And what you are to me is money, so pay your taxes. That's all you're worth to me. And Jesus comes in and goes, no, you're not a number. You're a name. See, actually, numbers even mattered to Jesus, but do you know the most important number to Jesus in the entire Bible? Can you guess what it is? Sometimes we go, oh, he fed the 5,000. Probably Jesus is just obsessed with 5,000. He fed the 4,000. He just probably likes big crowds. You know, sometimes you can walk into this room and you go, this church is so big. They probably don't even know about me. They probably don't care about me. They just care about this big room. Let me just read to you the number that is most important to Jesus. He says it himself in Luke chapter 15. Because he wants you to know that he cares about your name. He doesn't look at you just as a number. Listen what it says in Luke chapter 15. He's starting to get sinners. It says he got the tax collectors and the Pharisees together, and he's trying to unveil the heart and the love of the Father to the world. And listen what he says to them. He shares this story about a shepherd who has 100 sheep, and he says one of the sheep, they run off. And he says, and so he takes the 99, and he puts them in a safe field, and then he goes after the one. And listen what he says. He said, then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep and it's like wait a second you got 99 he goes no 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 no. i found the one and i tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent you know the most important number to jesus in the entire bible is it's one it's one Augustus is about the millions that he can get. See, that's the difference between Jesus and the world. The world says, all I care about is what I can get. Jesus comes in the world and goes, all I'm concerned about is what I can give to the one. That's a big difference. This is a big difference. Even in the Christmas story, you see this conflict going on with Caesar Augustus, and then you see, oh, he had to go to the town of Bethlehem, and we sing it, oh, little town of Bethlehem. and Oh, I bet Jesus was born in a nativity scene, you know, and I bet all this other stuff was all great. I got to visit Bethlehem this October. I'm telling you, this is a podunk town. They don't even have Starbucks there. They don't. Well, I did take this picture I found when I was walking through Bethlehem. Stars and bucks and uh, master marketing. Literally, you just saw line after line of Americans walk up. I'll do a tall, wait a second. You're not Starbucks, man. And I'll tell you, it was so funny to watch people walk in and out, in and out. And I just walked through Bethlehem. And I looked at this little city and I went, Jesus came here? Go to Rome. Go to Jerusalem. Why are you coming to Bethlehem? Why are you coming here? You know why Jesus came to Bethlehem? It's not because he loved the underdog story. And we love an underdog story in Indiana, don't we? We love Hoosiers, man. That's what defines us. This team, all this stuff, the underdog. Oh, man, we cheer for the underdog. Do you realize Jesus came to Bethlehem because he knew Bethlehem wasn't even worth being an underdog? Because, see, if you're an underdog you have a chance. Jesus came to Bethlehem because Bethlehem didn't even have a chance. If you feel like today you're going, I don't feel like I'm worth anything. I don't feel like I have anything to offer. Christmas is for you. Christmas is for you. Jesus wasn't worried just about the thousands and the millions. Jesus was telling the world, I'm coming for those who don't even have a chance. Some of us, we feel bad. We go, I know it's Christmas. I don't know if you've said this this week or not. I'm just not feeling it. I'm just not feeling it. And can I be honest with you for a moment? This week, I was excited to preach. I wasn't feeling it. I had strep throat on Monday. Man, I ain't feeling it. Got a call on Monday. Uh, My buddy Matt, who's in my life group, his dad died suddenly Sunday morning, 2.45 in the morning. Dropped dead of a heart attack. Did his funeral on Thursday. Strep throat, funeral, trying to get ready. And I just prayed this week, God, I ain't feeling it. I ain't feeling it. You know what he told me? That's so why I came. Christmas is for those who aren't feeling it. That's why he came. See, sometimes we feel like we gotta get all excited and act like everything's great. And that is not the tradition of Christmas. Matter of fact, the tradition of Christmas is this: that Jesus came to stand with us so we can know where we stand with God. You ever asked that question? Where do you stand with God? God, I don't know. I don't know where I stand with you. Maybe you're afraid to ask that question because you're like, maybe he'll hit me with a lightning bolt, so I'm just not even gonna ask. He's like, here's where you stand. You're like, so I'm not, I'm just not even gonna ask. And if we asked ourselves that question, if I go, hey, where do you stand with yourself? You go, well, I'm a good person. I mean, do you see my sales this quarter? I am good. A lot of times we'll say, Man, we're good with ourselves. But when we are honest and we go, well, where do you stand with God? Uh, see, that's what Christmas is about. Christmas is about the one who came to stand with us. Whether we're hurting or we're in a dark place or we're full of guilt and shame, Christmas is about the one who came to be among those who didn't have a chance. This Christmas, he's given you a chance. This is the beauty of Christmas. But you, you see this ending of this line here where it says this, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son, and she wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. We got to see the birthplace of Jesus that they believe it happened in, in this past October while we were there and our guide was taking us through and she read that scripture to us and she said, did you realize this? And she taught me something I had never known. This was phenomenal. She said, we hear about that. all. Oh, there's no room for, for them in the inn, and we think they showed up and they tried to hit Motel 6 and it was like Derby, you know. There's no hotels from here to Scottsburg, you know. And you can go to Motel 6 and La Quinta and Hampton and, and, you know, probably Joseph and Mary, they just kind of rode around on their donkey, you know, looking up on Expedia or Priceline, you know, trying to book a place and everybody's full. She says, no, they came to their hometown. That's what it said, that Joseph went to their hometown. It went from where they were from and there was no room in the inn and this is, she gave us great context to this story. I didn't realize this. She said, they came to their family but because Mary was pregnant before they got or pregnant before they got married the family wouldn't let them stay with them you ever felt unwanted ever felt left out in the cold christmas is for you because what we find is this jesus came to make room for us when we hadn't made room for him. Jesus goes out of order. He doesn't wait for us to come to him. He came to us. He comes after us. Listen what it says in John. Jesus' best friend writes this about Jesus. And he says this in John chapter 1, verse 9. He says, the true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. This is what Christmas is all about. It's this tradition, this light that's coming into our oppression, this light that's coming into our darkness, this light that is meeting us in our darkest place. And he was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. He gave you a name, he didn't give you a number. See, Christmas is about him redefining absolutely who you are. When we believe in him, when we receive the one who's come after us, he says, you're now my child. I'm not defining you by your performance and your guilt and your shame, I'm calling you mine. And he says this, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. Is this the tradition that you celebrate at Christmas? That God came and said, you are my, I just want you to receive the invitation that I'm giving you to redeem everything that you are. Because God looks at you and I, And he says, it's not about what I can get from you. That's calling you a number. He looks at you and I and he says, I want to give Jesus to you so you can have a new name. I want you to listen to a story of an incredible family that saw Jesus enter in to their darkest moment. Take a listen to the story.